0: In the middle of your day and week, I am going to start recording just so I've got some time to kind of put in the intro and outro. But the main thing to remember is that it's super conversational. So there's not a lot of editing. Um, there's not just like, it really is like we're just sitting at a coffee table and kind of chatting about women and ministry and mm-hmm. specifically the SBC. Um, but, oh, that's you dangerous. know, it's, it's, it's such a fun topic to talk about. So <laughs> I really have been looking forward to this. I'm so excited about highlighting it book and just what you guys are doing it's needed and it's beautiful um so just remember it's kind of a back and forth so i may throw something at you but with three of us and not being able to see i'm going to try to stay to our questions like pretty directly so but as you chat i might say eric you know what do you think about that or something like that yeah um And we will record for about 30 minutes, but it's kind of fluid even in that. And so if we're in the middle of kind of on a topic, then we're just going to close it out and then I'll wrap up the show at the end. So um, where is our, well, let's do this at the end, Elise, I'll probably throw it to you and just say, what's the best way for them to get their hands on a copy? And then that way you can kind of plug anything with the book, um, wherever you want to send them. Um, You can kind of give a plug that way.
1: Okay, and I'll just do that through our website because then they'll, they can order it through our website. Okay, perfect. And yeah. you know what, Eric, why don't you do that? Okay, that's so, good. Jackie, okay. can you just throw it to Eric yes. instead? Yes, ma'am. I can do Well, and I'm Eric's and the last get, one. Get these things. So, <laughs> yeah, <okay>. I don't care <laughs> myself at all.
2: Uh, my last name is pronounced Shoemaker. I don't know if there, that was in a media packet or not. but
0: Okay, I got that in your email. And honestly, that's oh, okay. how I've um, always read it. So, awesome. Um, I don't know what that... I'm sure you've gotten some jacked up name pronunciations. Elise yeah. um, doesn't care
2: what you call her.
1: <laughs> yeah, right,
2: exactly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, do y'all have any questions before we get started? I don't think so. I don't think so. Okay. Y'all both sound really good. Just try to not like click pins and those kind of things because those do come up in the recording, but y'all have done enough of these. I'm sure you're aware. So, all right, let's get started. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of at the table. It's Jackie King, and today is such a treat. I've got recordings from all over the country today, and I'm so excited to introduce you to my guest. Today, I've got Eric Shoemaker and Elise Fitzpatrick on the show talking about their new book, Worthy. So thank you guys so much for joining us today. Thank you, Jackie.
2: Yeah, we're glad to be here.
0: I'm so glad you're here. I've been looking forward to this. I got my copy a couple weeks ago and have been already delving into this book. And so this is definitely a treat that we are going to get to chat through. So why don't you tell us a little bit about y'all selves. Eric, why don't you start us off? Where are you from? Where are you recording from? Tell us a little bit about you and then why don't you kick it over to Elise?
2: All right. Yeah, I am uh, recording from Ames, Iowa, where uh, I live with my wife Jenny and our five children. And um, I'm a native of Iowa, so I grew up in a small town of about a thousand people. I grew up in a Lutheran church, and uh, my mom, you know, shared the gospel with me when I was young. Ended up going off to college, where some of my theology changed, and I became Baptistic. And that led me to Southern Seminary, uh, where I got my degree in uh, MDiv, in Biblical and Theological Studies. And then since then, I've pastored three uh, Southern Baptist churches uh, here in Iowa and um, have enjoyed serving with the Southern Baptist Convention and things like uh, disaster relief, went down to Biloxi after Hurricane Katrina, and serve on our state executive board a few terms and um, try to encourage pastors here in the state.
1: Okay. Very good. And I am recording from San Diego, California, Don't Hate Me. (laughs) <laughs> I know, we've already talked about how picturesque your weather
0: is today. <laughs> yes,
1: so uh, I actually was born in Los Angeles, and uh, I, so I'm a through and through California girl. Um, I've been married, we're working on year number 46, Aww. and well, that just proves there's a God, and we have, <laughs> uh, we have three children and six grandchildren. And uh, I have been involved in ministry. Um, Well, I got saved in 1971. I was not raised in a Christian home, uh, but was saved at the sort of height of the Jesus movement here in California. Mm -hmm. And um, so I have a degree in biblical counseling. And so the writing that I've done has primarily been about biblical counseling and actually how... The gospel intersects with our daily life. And um, yeah, so and then I, you know, I do some speaking and those sorts of things.
0: All right. Very good. Well, again, like I said, we are all over the planet recording from um, Arkansas and California and Iowa. And I love y'all went back home like y'all have been at home. Um, You're in your home (laughs) states doing ministry and and serving the Lord. And so I'm really excited to kind of first unpack Eric. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how did this book worthy celebrating the value of women? How did you guys pair up like kind of tell us a little bit of the backstory of what sparked the need for y'all to decide. To re- write this, although I think I know, um, and it is very needed, um, and so kind of tell us a little bit, like pull back the curtain on just the beginning conversation and work on how this thing got out there.
2: Yeah, sure. So uh, the book had its origins in Twitter, of all things. Where <laughs> so Twitter can be good. Let's yeah, let's yeah. Go ahead and say that. <laughs> so I had I had put out a string of tweets on uh, women who were the first. In the in the Bible, first people to do certain things, and the Gospel Coalition saw it, asked me to write a article, uh, turned it into an article, and Elise saw the article and invited me on to uh, her family podcast, the Front Porch with the Fitzes, mm-hmm. and she said, uh, "You should turn this into a book." And I said, "You should write it with me." And so we talked, and 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 that's what it that's what it's uh that's the origins of it. Uh, you know, part of my passion in writing this book just personally is, you know, in the Me Too and Church Too movement and those conversations going on in our culture, a lot of times I'll hear people say that uh, conservative, complementarian theology is inherently bad for women, and there can certainly be abuse of women coming out of those circles. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I wanted to demonstrate is that a conservative reading of the Bible that takes Scripture on its own terms and honors its sufficiency and its authority and its inspiration, when you read it from cover to cover, you come away with a theology that highly values women mm-hmm. um, and and is not, uh, not putting them down. Mm-hmm.
0: So I'm kind of curious, um, because you're, like you said, you said that you grew up Lutheran, but then ended up um, at one of our seminaries. You're one of our pastors. So is there a way that you can look back and kind of see what that turning point was? Like, has this always been something that has been a part of your story and wanting to advocate for women? Or was it the Me Too movement and how that kind of hit SBC? Is there something in particular that really kind of changed your heart or maybe even directed you in this?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. I would not say it's always been one of my passions. And in our book, Worthy, I share a few instances where I've just failed at that in my past. And even, you know, going to seminary and learning complementarian theology, reading a ton of books uh, to that end, I still, while my theology would say men and women are equal— Uh, there were still places in my applications and attitudes where I was not treating women that way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think the emphasis for me traces back to my own. Uh, I went through a hard period in pastoring where I was uh, very burnt out. Um, I felt like I was being mistreated by a large number of people. And there weren't many who to my knowledge, I I felt like were sticking up for me and advocating for me publicly and actively. And that produced in me, I think, a sympathy for people who were saying, hey, look, we're not being treated right. And so at some point in the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, these videos that get shown of um, uh, black men being killed uh, in situations, you know, in my youth and early adulthood, I would have written that all off as something uh, politically liberal and suspect. And I decided that I was going to watch one of these videos. And as I watched this man getting choked to death for selling, you know, unlicensed cigarettes uh, or whatever, it just struck me that there is no reason this should be happening. Mm. And I have not been listening to my uh, black neighbors, brothers and sisters, uh, on what their lives are like. And so that led me to be really open to just listen to stories and and honestly consider them. And then as the Me Too and Church Too movements arose, um, you know, there's just so many heroic voices of women. Uh, even in the SBC, we have uh, women like Rachel Hollander and Beth Moore. Uh, Jennifer Lyell, Megan Lively, you know, as their stories started to come out and they started to speak, um, I was listening to them. Mm -hmm. And I was understanding, as far as I could, what they were experiencing. And seeing myself, I think, in the responses of some of those men. and, And grieving that. And then realizing that The voices in in those movements can't just be women. If women are the only ones speaking out about the mistreatment of women, it it gives the impression that men really don't care. Mm. And I just decided uh, that I wanted to be a man and a pastor that was publicly speaking to the things that other men and pastors, particularly in my circles. I didn't see addressing publicly, Mm -hmm. and so it's risky to do that. I know there's a cost to to that, Uh, but I I just wanted to be the voice of a man and a pastor who is coming alongside my sisters and speaking with them. Mm.
0: That's so good. And I think even going back to, you know, you mentioning Black Lives Matter and listening to your friends, and it's starting with listening, it it makes it not a women's issue or a minority issue, it's an image of God issue, you yes. know? And so I think um, even just starting the conversation in that, and I know we're gonna talk a little bit about just how to have this conversation in a second, um, but I think starting with they are humans, they are women and men made in the image of God, that have experiences and stories, and that you want to somehow bridge the gospel with that story, with that life. And um, I remember in reading your book, you mentioned talking to one of your friends and how she ended up kind of saying like this list of what she experienced as a woman. And it was something so simple, you know, of like walking into a room and not being acknowledged or not making eye contact, you know, and I'm reading this list and I'm like, Oh my goodness, I've felt that too, you know, like, it's not just me. And so the fact that you had even asked that question almost kind of in like, as I'm reading the list made me stop and think, wow, you know, just the power in asking what do you feel when you walk into mm. a room as a woman or as a minority or you know I mean just throw out whatever it is and then starting the conversation from there instead of coming with all of these preconceived ideas and notions right um, yeah. so I'm just so encouraged that um I don't know just as a sister as somebody that is walking alongside you in this in this mission. um, It's so encouraging, I think, to hear. And I think you and Elise, even just the idea that y'all are writing this together, I love because Mm -hmm. it's showing that complementary. It's showing that perspective where it's stronger together. So Elise, as you were kind of writing your portion of the book, um, I'm not sure, like maybe talk to us a little bit, Elise, on how did y'all write it? Like, how did y'all kind of assign what you were going to tackle? And Mm -hmm. he was going to take some things. You were going to take some things. How did that happen?
1: Well, yeah, the book basically goes from Genesis all the way through to the book of Revelation. And what we're trying to do is do an overview of the different ways, surprising ways, a lot of times, that women are used in the uh, narrative of redemption. And so Mm -hmm. Eric had already done work uh, on the beginning chapters in Genesis, and he uh, had work that he had already really thought through as far as um, the New Testament and the Gospels, and so Eric basically got uh, Genesis one, two, and three, and the Gospels, and then I got everything else, okay. um, <laughs> <laughs> which is no small task. <laughs> but you know, uh, let, I, I obviously I didn't cover everything else. Yeah. But it was, um, you know, it it for us it was a journey. Just we're just asking the question how did god use women and how is their value shown and how should it be celebrated all throughout uh, redemption history so from the very beginning from genesis in her creation all the way through to the book of revelation where you have the bride a female she's mm-hmm. spoken of in female as a female gender uh, how how do we see scripture from beginning to end, and what is God's perspective on women? It's very easy to do a superficial reading of scripture and say, well, God obviously is a misogynist, Paul certainly was a misogynist, to say mm-hmm. things like that without mm-hmm. really looking deeply at you know, the evidence that's there. And then you begin to see how Jesus interacted with women. And the way that the Lord Jesus interacted with women is shocking. Um, And the kinds of things that he uh, allowed and even encouraged, you know, encouraging a woman, uh, Mary, not his mother Mary, but Mary of Bethany, to function as a disciple of a rabbi Mm -hmm. was so outside of the norm that, you know, when he when he goes to the house of Mary and martha and martha is is really pushing boundaries by even asking him to come to her house, and then Mary doesn't do what you know is expected of her, which is to help serve the man instead sits at his feet as a learner hmm. um, and and jesus Jesus protects her and says, she has chosen the one." necessary thing and when he does things like that and he does them over and over again we need to just sort of step back the way they were knocked back and say wait a minute Jesus had a different perspective on women than was common in the in that context and then you know even to look at the way the Apostle Paul treated women and spoke about women Um, when you step back and say okay what i want to do is just read the historical record what is there and why is it there Um, you come away from scripture with this overwhelming uh, (laughs) surprise I had certainly had an overwhelming surprise because like Eric, I had uh, in the 1990s when the complementarian books first started coming out, I had really read them and bought into them a uh, hook line and sinker without ever having done what we did in this book which just which is just to say in what ways were women important? How how did God celebrate that that Azer, that helper, you know, mm. when when God says He's going to make a helper for Adam, He does that because Adam's uh, alone and is in need, and so, you know, how how does God use wom- women as the helper, as the necessary ally? Mm. And you know that word "helper" is used over and over again in Scripture of. Yeah god yeah and so we have to say um how how does women how does a woman in her in her ontology in her being as she's been created how does she image god the helper so she's the necessary ally that the man needs and then you get all the way you get all the way to you know paul uh going to europe In answer to the Macedonian man, he has a vision in Acts 16 of the Macedonian man who says, come over and help us. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. Paul goes to Philippi and he finds a group of women praying by a river outside the city. And here's the helper, Lydia, Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) who
1: is the first convert first baptized convert to Christianity in um, Europe, and she prevails upon the apostolic team to stay at her house. She prevailed upon them to stay at her house. She is probably single. Uh, She's probably widowed, but we don't know that. And she has a house that's big enough to hold the first house church in Europe. Mm-hmm. So God answers, <laughs> God answers the cry for help from a European man with a European woman. And then Paul sets up the first house church in the home of a European woman. And then Paul also talks about Phoebe, who is his helper. Mm-hmm and takes the letter to the Romans to Rome. She's not just a mailman. She actually delivers this letter and probably reads it to the house churches. So Paul says she has been a helper of many people and she's my benefactor or helper as well. So Mm -hmm. you see from beginning to end how women are used as helpers to push forward the redemption, redemption story.
0: It's so good. I wish we had like a ton of time and you could just keep going and talking about all of the women that you had. I know um, as I was kind of thumbing through the book, whenever I first got it, I ended up in mm. the appendixes, you know, and like mm. the first one and how it just lists everything and all of these women and how God has used it. And I mean, you should just buy the book really for that back chunk of the book, but it's all so good. Um, and so I love what you're bringing out because I think I've found this in my own life and even in the women that I lead in my women's ministry ministry um, that there really are kind of these notions that maybe have been passed down or maybe we picked them up along the way in our spiritual walk. But honestly, like as I've looked at my own walk and then having these conversations with my own women, they don't know the stories of the Bible and women, mm. like they don't. It, are, yeah. They're these isolated kind of ideas mm-hmm. and ideologies. And even going back to Genesis and unpacking the beauty of how we were made and how mm-hmm. man and woman were distinctly made very differently, but also to glorify God, and then to rule together. Um, and I remember sitting in Bible study at, after teaching um, Genesis one through three and having the women sit there and they were a little bit older than I am and just saying, I have never heard this. I've always mm-hmm. heard that the men are in charge and we just mm-hmm. need to come along and help. And so mm-hmm. Elise, how have you seen women maybe I'm specifically thinking of like their posture changing or um, just how they carry themselves as we are met with the word of God and the truth of God. How are you seeing women change with just being presented with the simple stories of this is how God uses women all throughout the
1: Bible? Actually, this past weekend, I spoke at a conference. There was about 250 women there, and I spoke to them from the book Worthy. Mm -hmm. And a woman came to me with tears in her eyes afterward, and she said, she's an older woman, she said, I sleep on a bed in a closet next to my husband's bed because I need to be by him because he's had a stroke, and so I need to be there for him all the time. And she said, this has changed my life. It's transformed me because now I see how valuable I am to God and what I'm doing has value.
0: Mm. Oh, my goodness. Wow.
1: Like that. Mm. Yeah. 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 So beautiful. It really does change how
0: you breathe, how you walk, Mm -hmm. like how you participate in the church and in the local church, how you take your giftings. And I mean, like you think you talk of Phoebe, you talk of Dorcas, like all of my women giggled whenever (laughs) I mentioned Dorcas because they didn't know there was a woman in the Bible with that name, you know. Um, And so I think this is such an encouragement, especially as women leaders listening to this podcast, like you have got to get your women in the word and seeing how God has traced this thing out from creation, like this is not some movement that we're a part of. This is not something that we're kind of yeah. like piecing together so that it becomes something for us, you know, to like lift us up. Like this is history. This is how God works and moves in Amen. His church and through His people. Mm-hmm. And so, Eric, I'm kind of curious. Um, being on the Twitter Twitterverse um, <laughs> <laughs> over the last couple of weeks, as you have launched this book, y'all have gotten some pushback, um, which honestly and sadly does not surprise me. Mm. Um, so talk to me a little bit about where do you see that pushback coming from? And just how are you guys? Um, that's a question <laughs> that I have for y'all. Like, how are your hearts? And, um, but let's talk a little bit about that. Because this is obviously, especially in the SBC specifically, kind of a, a pretty hot topic. Um, so yeah. how are you dealing with some of that pushback? And what do you see
2: Yeah, that's a great question, and here's where I'm going to move from uh, podcasting to preaching. (laughs) Go for it. (laughs) You can do that, you know. Yeah. I had to, sorry. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) um, You know, I I, want to follow up on that last point. Um, I love that you're sharing this with the women in your ministry and that Elise is speaking to women on this. And I just want to put a shout out to the women that are listening to this. Uh, encourage your husbands to read this Mm -hmm. book. Mm -hmm. Uh, I hope that this topic, the value of women, Mm -hmm. doesn't remain a women's ministry and a women's Mm -hmm. conference issue. There should Mm -hmm. be men's ministries reading this book, Mm -hmm. and this should be the topic of men's conferences, Mm -hmm. uh, because the value of women is something men should care about, Uh, which gets me to the, the backlash and the pushback that we've received um, you know, the, the light pushback we've received, and I'm saying this for the sake of the irony, is that the book is too complementarian. Um, and that's primarily coming from egalitarian people. And that's, that's understandable. Uh, mm-hmm. They don't see the, how we can be consistent in that. But the strongest pushback is that it's not complementarian enough. Really? Uh, and that in that, it doesn't emphasize uh, what women can't do. And it doesn't emphasize and thoroughly exegete uh, all those submission passages. Mm. And so, you know, we wrote a book that wanted to explore the value of women as they show up from cover to cover in the Bible. And, and you've already mentioned all these passages that surprised you, surprised your women, surprised Elise and I as we read them, these mm-hmm. things that aren't highlighted and aren't seen. Mm-hmm. But we've heard from men in particular, pastors and elders in particular, who are disappointed in two things. One, that we recognize egalitarianism as a Christian belief, mm-hmm. and we talk about our egalitarian brothers and sisters. And two... That our book, because on that first point, we're emphasizing gracious conversations with those that we disagree with Mm -hmm. as brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, And and then the second one is so that we, as I said, we didn't strongly emphasize what women cannot do. Uh, We didn't emphasize that women should be submissive in the church and in the home. We didn't exegete passages on wives submitting to their husbands. We didn't exegete passages on the office of pastor being only for men. Um, We didn't explain our beliefs on those things. Um, We do state in the book Mm -hmm. that we are soft Mm complementarians. We state we believe that the office of pastor is limited to qualified men, wives should submit to the godly leadership of their husbands, meaning they're not required to submit to sin and abuse and that sort of thing. Mm And we even state that in our local churches, women don't preach. Um, but that's not enough. And and those two strong pushbacks uh, for me are really disturbing, and they highlight a trend that I see uh, among complementarians uh, broadly and in the SBC. Um, it's, it's very disturbing to see egalitarianism uh, treated as outside the bounds of Christian orthodoxy, mm, even though yeah. I think it's wrong. Uh, it has been elevated to a first order issue where if you don't agree with complementarianism, you don't agree with the gospel. Yeah. Or and the I,
0: form of complementarianism. Can yes, you, like, add that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um,
2: and, and we see this in organizations that um, highlight that they are gospel-centered and they'll even highlight that they welcome different beliefs on continuationism versus cessationism, paedobaptists and credo different forms of church polity, but you have to be a complementarian uh, to be with them. And you have the,
1: to be the kind of complementarian that they are. Yes, right. Right. and,
2: and the, so what happens there when you take all of these second-level, second-tier um, doctrinal issues that have to do with how you practice in the local church and you say, all of these are acceptable in our gospel organization, except you have to be a complementarian. You you functionally make complementarianism part of first order orthodoxy that you have to accept to be a Christian. And no one's going to flat out say in those words, that egalitarians or complementarians who don't interpret things their way can't be Christians, but it's said functionally in the way that we respond. And I'm seeing this in the SBC, where you can be a Baptist faith and message 2000 affirming complementarian, but if you disagree on unaddressed aspects of how that is applied in a local church, then you are stated to be disregarding and dismissing the authority and the sufficiency of scripture, and whether you're a Christian Mm -hmm. seems to be uh, Mm -hmm. even questioned. And, and, And I think what that does is it really reveals what's at the heart of this issue and why this book is needed. There are some men and some women who cannot conceive of a conversation about the value of women unless there is a major emphasis on what women cannot do. Mm. And that makes women appear to be suspect, as though they're always trying to usurp and deceive and rebel. And one of the things we keep hearing from conservative, Bible-loving women Mm -hmm. is that they are suspicious of books or sermons or conferences about the value of women, because in the end, what it always comes back to is hammering on what women cannot do. Mm -hmm. And that plays into the stereotype that the only thing Christian men and Christianity in general are concerned about is controlling power and controlling women. And so we wrote a book that was not about gender roles. There are hundreds of books out there on gender roles in the church and in the home. If you want explanations of 1 Timothy 2.12, you can find books devoted entirely to that. If you want to figure out what complementarians mean about wives submitting to their husbands and why that's not devaluing them, there are books about that. That's not the book we were writing. We wanted to walk through the Bible and highlight how women have been valuable. And we had word limits, and and our, our publisher graciously let us go over our, our word limit for the book. But evidently, for some people, it is not enough to say women are valuable. You have to say what they can't do. Mm. And women hear that. They see that. They're hurt by that. And I I, I just want to encourage my complementarian brothers uh whether you're a scholar or a pastor, to think hard about what message you're sending to our sisters when everything has to end on what they can't do.
0: Mm, So good. Um, I yes, I, a thousand, amens, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> more than amen a thousand, Amen, Amen, Amen. Um, I was I threw out on Twitter last night because I'm getting ready to teach at a women's event, and um, so I was thinking through just false gospels, and so I like threw out this tweet that was just like, "What are some false gospels that women, um, you know, like are are following? Mm-hmm. You know, they have a little hint of truth or whatever." My very first response was a guy that said that they can be pastors, and I'm just like, <sighs> "Are you kidding?" Kidding me? Like, are you serious out of all of the things, you know, like that's what you're going to throw at. And I mean, it was within seconds. And yeah. I know just personally as a woman and, and we make no like, I mean, we are BFNM at SBC Women's Leadership Network. You know, we affirm that we are complementarian. There is no conversation in that. But even mm-hmm. in our launch last year, mm-hmm. so much of it was even our trying to brace for how do we answer the question? How do we come out so incredibly like obvious. We are not trying to be pastors. And just in that conversation of how everything revolves around what we aren't or what we mm-hmm. can't, and then we wonder why women are defeated or feel like yeah. they don't have a space or a voice. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know you're teaching to the choir right now because we're like, yes, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, yes, yeah. let's talk mm-hmm. about something else. Um, and that was honestly a big part of starting this podcast and telling the rest of the committee, like, I want to celebrate women. I want to yeah. talk about something. Something other than the fact that we can't preach, that we mm-hmm. can't be pastors, and it, the beauty of that, and the encouragement that comes, which is getting to see God working in women. Like, why, why on earth we would think that that needs to be squelched? I don't, yeah. I don't know. Particularly um, and it's fear. when it's go ahead.
2: You know, particularly when it, in our convention we have this big conversation going on about women particularly women being abused. I mean, it's not just women that are subject to sexual abuse, but a lot of women, like those heroic women I mentioned earlier, and there's so many voices that are silent on that, and they don't say anything. Mm. And often I'm seeing it's the same voices. When you ask that question about, I, I don't, I'm don't, i not saying this about the person who replied, because I didn't see that. Right. But you ask a question like, what's, what's a false gospel, blah, blah, blah. And the first thing is, uh, women being pastors or women preaching, uh, or Beth Moore, and mm. y- you can't say anything about a woman being abused. Mm. But the big crisis is she might want to share something from the Bible. It it yeah. it blows my mind. It yeah. it um, and it's not a good look.
0: Mm. Yeah. So, Elise, I'm curious because I don't know about you, but I've had moments to where I'm just like, oh, my goodness, what is the point? Like, like we have screamed it. We have put it on T-shirts. We have said it, like, in our introductions. Hey, I'm Jackie. I don't want to be a pastor. Like, it can get discouraging. And so... How would you encourage women um, to like stay in the game, to not Mm -hmm. be defined by this sect of the conversation? Like, what would you say to the person that maybe feels unseen, unheard? Like, this is Mm -hmm. just how it's gonna be. What would you say?
1: Yeah, just, you know, remember the way Jesus treated women. So you remember when uh, Mary of Bethany was anointing, (laughs) anointing Christ before, for his burial, mm-hmm. uh, and what is she doing? She's kissing his feet, and he welcomes it. It's not like he's sort of, mm, you know, holding his breath. I wish she'd stop. He's actually welcoming it, but what do we see happening with Judas and the other disciples? You know, he's, he's thinking, well, a typical emotional woman, She's wasting all this money. She probably thinks that she's going to sit next to him. And Jesus says, leave her alone. Hmm. Leave her alone. And then he, before that, he goes and has a meeting with a Samaritan woman, which if we've heard one sermon about how horrible this woman was, I've heard a hundred. About And without ever stopping to think about the fact that a woman in that day who was divorced, she's not the one doing the divorcing. And if she's living with a man, she's doing so because she has no other option to try to care for herself. So Jesus goes and meets with her. And what's so, I I almost chuckle when I read it, if it wasn't so sad. It says that the disciples came back from getting lunch and finds him talking to a woman and they're shocked Mm. that he's talking to a woman. Okay, so this is what I have to say to women. Listen, your Lord sees and he loves and he will work this out. Mm -hmm. I have, after seeing the way that Jesus called and used and protected and loved women, I know that the Lord of the church is not going to let this go on. Mm. And that's, you know, that's my only hope. My hope is not in this book or in what the SBC or my church or any church Mm. might do. My only hope is that Jesus Christ loves women Mm. (laughs) and Mm. has made it so plain, and he will protect us and work this out and use us according to his plan
0: so good. And you know, that honestly kind of like hits a little bit of a nerve in me because it reminds me that the work that we do do is only for Jesus. And I think a lot of times, you know, especially in this conversation, because it can get so heated, we can right. tend to want to be right or, mm-hmm. you know, to like earn our spot. Mm-hmm. And so I think even you're graciously reminding us that it's up to Jesus, like he is in control, uh-huh. he's taking care of it all. And ultimately our affection Our work, our desire is ultimately for him. And so I think that's a really great challenge for all of us, um, Mm. especially in the muckiness of this conversation. Mm. So yeah. Okay, Eric, so to close this out, because we're running out of time, um, how would you encourage both brothers and sisters um, just in this conversation? I think you've done it well, um, Mm, and and I want to commend both of you for that as I've watched um, just some of the backlash that you guys have had. Um, But how do you have this conversation well?
2: Well, I think it starts with love, um, faith that overflows in love for our neighbor. Mm -hmm. First of all, we have to find our justification and acceptance with God through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, Mm -hmm. that we are declared righteous by grace alone, through faith alone, and not through the perfection of our doctrine. Mm -hmm. Uh, No matter how important doctrinal purity is, We are not justified by having all the right beliefs. And so don't be threatened by people who disagree with you. Realize that you can be wrong in your theology, Mm -hmm. and your neighbor might be revealing something to you. Mm -hmm. Um, Listen to people with love, and love hopes all things and believes all things. Mm -hmm. That means it gives the benefit of the doubt. Mm -hmm. And, you know, these women, like I mentioned before, like Rachel and Beth and Jen and Megan speaking out so courageously on Twitter and social media, their stories of intimate things that should never be discussed and never have Mm -hmm. to be discussed in public. They have allowed their lives to be ripped apart in, in public for the sake of other people's protection. Mm-hmm. And that deserves our attention and our careful listening and and you know what sometimes you know I've seen people tweet out you know Beth Moore can be kind of snarky um or you know she can instigate things and <laughs> As though saying that the men's sinful responses to that is okay. Mm. Like this woman you gave me, she was snarky and and I sinned, I ate. Um, (laughs) You know, where have we heard that before? Yeah. And and, and so you also have to understand, um, you know, just like that man getting choked to death in the street. I remember one of the things he said is, "I, I can't take it anymore. How long does this have to go on? And there are sisters who have endured incredibly Mm -hmm. painful things and a lot of mistreatment for a long time without saying anything. And you know what? If they get a little bit snarky, understand where that's coming from, Mm -hmm. um, and, and listen to them and give them, give each other honest summaries of where they're at. You know, these, These compilation videos of Beth Moore quotes out of context to make her look like she worships demons or whatever are just Mm. horrific. They're demonic in themselves. Shameful. And 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 this, you know, these these accusations and fights on Twitter and shock jock type of documentaries that blow these things way out of proportion are not from Christ. They are not helpful. they are. They, they rip apart Christian fellowship in ways that should not be done, and that mm-hmm. needs to stop. Don't give it your attention. Don't give them uh, a platform. Uh, what we need to do is is to to ask questions. I would I would specifically encourage pastors go to the women in your church. I have a sample letter in the back of worthy that you can yep, copy and paste. Yeah, yep. yep. <laughs> Send them. Open questions about what it's like to be a woman in the church, and then just listen. Don't push back. Ask clarifying questions, and then just listen and think and go back for more conversations. And when they know you're safe, to be honest with, you might be surprised about what you learn. Right.
0: So good. So, man, y'all, I wish we could keep going. I mean, there's just so, so much goodness in this conversation. Um, but I hate to say we have to wrap up. So I want to throw <laughs> it to Eric one more time. Um, why don't you tell us, how do we get the book? I cannot recommend this book enough. I think you should buy multiple copies and hand them out like candy to both men and women. Um, maybe even get some candy to kind of go with it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but where where should they go to purchase their own copy?
2: Yeah, so you can go to worthybook.org and that will that page has links to various places that you can buy it. It has all of our endorsers. It has a link to our own podcast worthy and uh, it also has sample uh, schedules for book studies. Mm-hmm. And I'm and I might add for churches that are out there. Um the the cheapest place I think to buy it in bulk is Direct to church.com. And if you are a nonprofit organization that's going to give it away, use it for ministry, uh, you can get it tax free there at, at really good bulk rates. Um, and I, I know of one seminary that I can't name that's bought a thousand copies uh, mm-hmm. to give away at events. And so I'm hoping more seminaries in the SBC will join the Thousand Book Club. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, let us know how we can help. Reach out awesome. to us.
0: Well, I know that this is going to be in my bag, and I'm going to reference it often um, and suggest it as I go around and teach too. And so, Elise and Eric, I cannot thank you enough and say, well, well done. Um, it is a beautiful, beautiful um work that I know that God is going to honor and is honoring. And so I want to thank you guys and cheer you on and let you know how grateful we are for your work and your love for God and his his creation. So thank you so much for joining us today.
2: Yeah, thank you, Jackie.
0: Well, I know that I have been encouraged and I hope that you guys have as well. Make sure that you hop online and purchase one of their books. Get a couple and I'm serious. I think this would be a great thing for you to start a book club with, for you to give to your pastor. Um, If you serve on staff, I would love to hear stories of how women are digging into this book together and just how encouraged you will be and reminded of your role in the kingdom. And so uh, know that we are cheering you on and we are praying for you and we hope that you'll join us again next week for another episode of At The Table. Y'all have a great one.